Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, we learn how Barrett managed to break into investment banking out of the University of San Diego, even though he didn't know what investment banking was until his junior year. He gives some must-listen advice on networking, how to interview when you're not a subject matter expert, and how he was able to find the right opportunity in venture capital coming out of investment banking on the West Coast. Enjoy. All right, Barrett, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, no, pleasure to be here. Thanks, Patrick. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a quick summary of your bio. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, graduated from University of San Diego, uh, 18, and studied finance there. And prior to that, my rising junior summer, I was an intern at a hedge fund, small family office, uh, macro fund in, in La Jolla, California. So, so local to the university down there. Parlayed that into a uh, internship with the University Growth Fund, which is, as uh, you know, we'll get into that a little more, but that's a uh, super interesting opportunity where you're essentially a student-managed venture capital fund. Um, it's based on Salt Lake City, and I was out of our San Diego office, and then um, parlayed that forward about a year after graduation into a full-time analyst position at Investment Bank, DA Davidson. Um, I was in our technology group for the vast majority of the time there. And then uh, just recently, about a little over a month ago, joined uh, up here at family office in, in San Francisco and primarily seed and series A tech investing. So, um, you know, short journey in the grand scheme of things, but it feels like a longer one. And that's, uh, it's good to be up here. No, yeah. I think it's great to chat with you because there, there are a lot of um, analysts um, on the site that are kind of thinking potentially VC family office and um, just hearing about how you put in from non-targets breaking into banking. So just hearing yeah. how you kind of positioned yourself um, through undergrad and going to a non-target, I think would be interesting. So let's start all the way back. Um, so where are you from originally and yeah, yeah, just give a little bit more about like freshman year. Did you know finance was like your dream (laughs) or VC? Uh, Short answer is no. Short answer is absolutely not. No, high school. I grew up in Laguna Beach, California. So Mm -hmm. Orange County kid, um, born and raised down there and, and, uh, staying somewhat local in California, but certainly not the East coast. And it's a different vibe as as you're very familiar with. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, my, my first actually experience, and I think the vast majority of kind of my career is less finance oriented and more entrepreneur oriented. And I think uh, the finance component is kind of a step into the entrepreneur world. Um, you know, I actually uh, had a volunteer hour long 11 p.m. on a Sunday night segment on our local uh, nonprofit FM radio station in high school. And it was kind of that autonomy and that like, you know, four listeners, one of which being my mom, like scrappiness <laughs> that I kind of identified with founder stories. So from there, kind of 
grew into relationships with founders, whether or not they were just in my network or outside of that. So kind of drawn to um, growing things. And I call it just kind of the lifestyle of building um, versus just pure finance, which is what you get. Did you ever start? More. Did you ever start anything in college or anything like that? Uh, I actually kind of rolled out part of that radio thing. It was a sports talk show. It was a sports talk show. Um, yeah. And what I turned it into is actually like an editorial uh, and I got like 30 high schoolers and first, second year college kids website. And it became politics, music, and sports. So everything that our parents cool. don't want to listen to us talk about at home, we talk about it on editorial. So I actually did start that. It was called offthebeat.co because we cannot afford the dot .com. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, me and a, a couple of buddies did that in, um, and, and made a couple thousand bucks in Google ads. And that was the extent of the of the uh, actual entrepreneurship. And I think if you made well, a couple thousand dollars from Google ads, that means it's actually not, not a decent size. It was actually a pretty decent size. My point is like, you get very, you get pennies on per thousand. Especially back then too. That was, I mean, that was about 2013 too. And it was, yeah. you know, the click ad space was very different back then, but the amount yeah. of content that we had versus the amount of, I don't even want to call it revenue. Um, but Google bother uh, that, that we were putting out there was, uh, astronomical. I mean, we probably had a hundred articles or so and uh, maybe a hundred clicks in a week. It was, right. it was small, but, uh, and, and most of them were again, moms and dads are like, okay. Well, I want to talk writing. about, can we talk a little bit about that? Cause I think it's interesting Please, yeah. people who um, are thinking like, I want to start this thing on the side and I want to, I'm going to go jump away from banking and start this, you know, this editorial thing. Tell me a little bit. Economy, about, right? What's that? The passion economy. It's a thesis we hear a lot, actually. Yeah. And so tell me a little bit about just what you thought going into starting that. So for other college kids or high school kids, maybe there's some high school kids listening, but like what you thought going in there, like what you thought was going to support the business model. Because I know when I started Wall Street Oasis, I was very much like similar, like, oh, we'll run some ads and Mm -hmm. it's all about just getting the engagement. And we've kind of fallen into a decent little business here, but, um, you know, it's been 14 years. It's not like we're, we're not huge, you know? So tell me a little sure. bit about how you went about thinking about it. And then some of the difficulties of like some, you, you started with friends, I assume. And then uh-huh. like the vision, did it change or did, did other people have different opinions of what was going on? Why it wasn't scaling stuff like that. I think it's interesting. To hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I wish I could provide more, um, more of like my current mindset towards that, but really it was the most intrinsic value thing you could think of. I enjoyed writing, I enjoyed content, I enjoyed kind of leading um, yeah. in a sense. And, and there was no, hey, I want to make revenue off this. It, it wasn't were you sport? Were you the sports person? Were you the politics? Were you everything? Uh, I was a sports person. Sports. And okay. yeah, and my co-radio host actually, it's called KX935. If you're ever in Laguna Beach, uh, it's the only time. You can listen online too, but um, okay. you can listen to that. Yeah, and uh, my, my radio co-host was, uh, you know, we actually met in Model United Nations, which is another great program if you're listening in high school for whatever reason, if you want to learn how to talk and debate and do whatnot. Okay. That's how we met. And then all of a sudden, he's like, I like uh, radio and I like um, politics and you like sports. Why don't we just talk about it? And cool. that, yeah, we, we had that 11. Like, I, I kid you not, it was 11 p.m. Sunday nights um, and it was an hour long and it was volunteer hours. So it was funny. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, there was there was very little grandeur vision. There was very little. Like, he it, he actually had the idea of, hey, like, why don't you try to put a Google click ads on this? Like it wasn't even a revenue scheme. It was. Yeah, I think I think in the back of my mind, you know, thinking back on it, it was it was more of college play than anything else. It was, hey, we have you know 30, 40 kids that are going to college, and you know, all you get is your application, your GPA, and your whatever two thousand word essay on the common yeah. app. What if we can just click a link, and then all of a sudden, 
you have your voice. You have three articles that you've written on politics, mm. sports, music, whatever it is, and, and you can show a little more of yourself, some, some substance. And, um, yeah, that's, that was the core. I think that's awesome. That's, that's great feedback. I think people have to be careful with that, especially on the uh, sports. I think a little safer politics totally. for sure. Be careful uh, putting that out there because you come across one interview, one interviewer that does disagrees with you or whatever sits on the other side of, especially and nowadays. boom, even if you're moderate, like, they will, I mean, everyone will find a way to disagree with politics, right? It's really hard to disagree with sports and then actually have like vitriol dislike yeah. of that person. It's like, if you're wearing a pass hat, I'm a big Rams fan. Yeah. I'm not holding that against you right now as much as I want to. <laughs> you can, it's fine. Um, go Celtics. They, uh, they won game one. I'm excited about that too. Um, yeah, but yeah, we, got so- our, we got our game one tonight. So we'll, we'll hold out on that one. Who's Lakers, your, of course. Lakers, yeah, yeah nice. Yeah. So we're, we're anti, uh, antithesis of the sports do you spectrum. Think, uh, you think the Lakers have a chance? Yeah, a chance. I mean, you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, two best athletes at their positions. <laughs> you think you think you're you're not a little, you're not worried how they're playing in the bubble at all? Oh, I'm terrified of how they're playing. Yeah. Okay. Fair. All right. Let's let's move on. So you okay? Yeah. So there's no grand jury. It was kind of a play to just help enrich your college applications. Yeah. Um. You, you get into. Did you apply to other schools besides the University of San Diego? What What was the thought process of going there? And and then tell me about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's actually probably a little. Um, more complex than that. I actually did not go to USD uh, out of the spectrum. I went to the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor um, go oh, okay. to start with. And as you can imagine with my high school background that you know a little bit more about, I actually went there specifically to study sports management. Um, and I applied to a couple other schools and uh, and I really liked the sports management. I kind of wanted to be Jim McGuire because I saw a movie. And yeah. uh, and and I uh, applied to, to Syracuse as a great sports management program and a Kelly School of Business, not sport management, but business program. Um, I was I was kind of thinking you know, with the sports kind of core, I want a big, a big sports school, a big brand, a big name and network. And uh, it's funny because I actually ended up graduating from USD, which has, you know, very little of those. No offense to uh, Harbaugh's <laughs> former football program, but um, it's just a different environment. Um, and yeah, so when I went out there, um, I very quickly realized that major was not about making Jerry Maguire's. And I also realized I didn't really want to be that um, as I was, you know, took more classes and, and whatnot. I kind of was gearing towards the public markets actually in finance. And I kind of like the sports dynamic of being able to take a bet on a theory and you're either right or you're wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what finance kind of enables and sports uh, and that major specifically, I, I realized it was more of a sports marketing geared thing. And but why not stay at Michigan since has a strong business program? Getting to that point. Yeah. Uh, right. So you apply after your freshman, sophomore year. And um, I mean, Ross, a top three business school, phenomenal. I did not, I did not go to that school thinking I was going to apply. And then a year in when I was already behind the gun, didn't do any extracurriculars, probably didn't have the grades to get in. I had that decision to make where I was like, okay, now a year in doing finance on the side, whether it's public markets or whatnot, I realized I want to do finance um, in some capacity or another. Mm. And uh, I, I also realized if I'm going to take the chance of getting in there, it's going to take me six years. And if I don't, I'm not working in that industry. So I very quickly realized that and, and parlayed that into looking what do you at mean? Sorry, options. what do you mean it was going to take you six years? What did you mean by that? Yeah, so, so sports management, it's actually in the school. Oh, sports so management. RG. Okay, okay. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I uh, couldn't take my prereqs. I could take econ 101 and stuff like that. But there was a lot of things that I was disadvantaged because I just didn't know that going in. And and if you know anything about Ross, there's pre-admits too. And, and a large portion of the class is already in there. And if you're not in there, you're focused on it from day one. You're doing everything you can to make the best application. And I just didn't have that or the grades or, uh, I mean, and for and grades like three, five or higher, three, seven or higher, something high, probably three, seven is really impacted. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's like a 3% acceptance rate. Uh, it, it coming it's from at least a school of sports management. 
yeah, so it's it's pretty tough. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, and and justifiably so because it's an unbelievable school, and I have so many friends that came out of there did great jobs in New York and Chicago. And I think a, a second component is I actually knew I wanted to work in California, um, and all of a sudden when you start looking at going to school at USD or USC or, or whatnot out here on the West Coast, it, I, I, you definitely take a step down in the name and notoriety, target status, and whatnot. But mm-hmm. uh, geography definitely plays an impact. I mean, Michigan kids for the vast majority of them, they end up in Chicago or New York or Boston. Um, and coming out of San Francisco was obviously with a name on the Ross, like it's possible. Um, but you know, I, I was kind of willing to take that chance and it wasn't a huge deal for me. I was kind of just like, I want to go study finance. I'm going to go do this somewhere else. Um, cause Got I think it. I'm a greater chance in, and you know, so fast forward to going to USD after my freshman year, um, you know, lifestyle is also different. I, I very much so enjoyed, uh, you know, Orange County kid, uh, hand up, like, I like the beach, right? So yeah. going to USD like has that draw, absolutely. And um, yeah, so and then USD also ended up being an incredible school for a network. I mean, it's a small school down in San Diego that, you know, it, you say USD and they're like, so University of California, San Diego, San Diego State or USD, and you have to clarify almost every time. Um, but for the small network it has, it's a very tight knit network. Um, mm. There are a lot of people that will go to bat for you um, that at a big school, like absolutely name recognition big alumni network all that good stuff um but like if i'm a a hiring manager and i went to usd and i had this experience actually at at da davidson um my technical uh interviewer was uh, a usd alum and all of a sudden it's like okay there's a lot less uh kind of fish in that sea and then all of a Mm -hmm. sudden when you find one it's a lot more rare there's probably a little bit more of a connection there too yep fair okay so tell me a little bit about um you know so you did the trend you did the transfer and you, you knew you wanted to go finance at that point. So you said, okay, I'm just going to stay University of San Diego. Do you consider it all going to like a uh, um, other school? Or did you feel like it, your grades weren't high enough in Michigan to, to get into like a super, like, I don't know, maybe like a UC, like an Anderson or a. So that was a tough one. Is I actually yeah. grew up a UCLA fan. Both my parents, uncles, yeah. everyone went to UCLA. Um, and uh, you need 60 units. You need two years, essentially, to transfer uh, to either a state school or a UC school. Um, so when I really wanted to dedicate to finance and, and um, decided leaving Michigan was a real possibility, I could only apply to essentially private schools in California. Um, Got it. And that's, which parents, parents and, and my, and my, uh, my financial scenario were not extremely <laughs> excited about that. Um, but USD also has a really good uh, merit and need based system where they do help a lot of kids out. So cool. That's, that's another plus for, for USD. If I haven't given enough of them a plug yet. <laughs> yeah. Great. So you're, you're basically um, coming in there here as a sophomore, correct? Now you're loving yeah. life on the beach. Um, <laughs> lifestyle's a little better. Uh, did you find like it was, uh, did you find like immediately you were just networking right away to try and land like internships? I know you, you started, uh, I think that first summer, after mm-hmm. your first year, you you had a, some hedge fund internship, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So I I you know had the benefit of coming from a big school and realizing what that network meant. And I also had parents that you know um, I don't know if I told them that I was thinking about transferring until I actually got in and made the decision to transfer. <laughs> um, so that was a different conversation. But you know, I, I come from a family that's very real, and in terms of like you are taking a drop down in name, it's going to be harder. How are we going to fill those gaps? Because there's ways to do it. And, Mm-hmm. Kids at non-targets are scrappy because of this. And networking was top of the list. San Diego is a, you know, not necessarily a powerhouse market for, for finance at all. Um, mm-hmm. But there certainly are um, folks that you can network with there. And for me, it was pounding pavement, cold calls, cold calls, cold calls. And it came from a USD alumni network. 
um, to coworkers and it just rabbit hole from there. And I made that dedication to sit down pen and paper and say, here's my list of 30 people that I'm going to call today. And LinkedIn wasn't, I don't even know if I went through LinkedIn because I don't even think I was on LinkedIn back then to tell you the truth. Um, this was 16, 2016, I think. This was been 15, 2015. 15, really. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so tell me a little bit about just how are you getting those names initially that first batch? It sounds like you're, you were able to turn the initial batch to kind of a spider web, like you said, the rabbit hole where yeah, you're yeah. able to kind of get passed, passed on to, uh, to kind of referrals. But tell me a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so the entry point for me was a lot of alumni. In San Diego, there's some crazy stuff that I won't butcher off the top of my head, but a lot of San Diego, USD alum and San Diego State alum live in San Diego postgrad. So it's a very strong network postgrad there. Um, and I kind of knew that and realized, and it's a lot of asset management as opposed to uh, other high finance roles. Like there's not a lot of investment making there. There's not a lot of hedge funds down there. There's certainly not a lot of VCs down there. Yep. Um, although the ones are, are there doing good stuff. But um, so I kind of knew that and realized I'm going to go through alumni networks and then at the end of every call, I'm going to ask, Hey, is there any other alumni that you work with uh, or, or that you work, you know, you're in contact with and you work with that don't work with you um, that I can network with. And, you know, eventually that, that wealth management financial advisor asset management group in San Diego really started to like open its doors. And, and, and um, you know, especially as, as like a local kid from a non-target, you can play that story, right. To uh, at least get your foot in the door and, um, I was really fortunate to get in with a place called HGV Capital. Um, that was the C CIO and founder there was the former CIO of Nicholas Applegate. So trillions of dollars under management and his experience. And that was at the stage that he was at. And it was a four person family office. Um, they since merged, but it was an unbelievable opportunity for a kid that really had only taken two semesters worth of under, you know, <laughs> of low level finance, maybe accounting classes um, to get. And I was sitting next to him every day during that internship. And, uh, you know, at some point in that summer, that light went on. Uh, and, and I said, I really like this. I, I think I can do this long term. And it wasn't, hey, I know I need to check the boxes with internships and with relationships and stuff like that. It was, okay, I actually really enjoy doing this. And all of a sudden, when that clip goes on, uh, that self-motivation goes on, it will drive you a lot further and make you a lot frankly, better at your job. Yeah. So you're saying it was like a family office hedge fund kind of, so you're doing like long, short equity, what, like what type of stuff are you doing there? Yeah. A lot of long, short equity plays, um, a good amount of merger arbitrage, um, a good amount. So wake up in the morning and all of a sudden a, a LinkedIn's getting bought by Microsoft. How, what's going to be affected by that in the markets today? How can we get in there in the next 30 minutes? So um, yeah, as the unexperienced rising junior intern, I was not making those decisions. I was trying to answer very basic questions that my portfolio managers were pushing down to me. Um, but they were very what were your hours. What were your hours? Nine to five. Uh, no okay. overtime, pay stubs like that. So, okay. um, and it, the La Jolla family office vibe, as you can probably imagine, isn't necessarily like, Hey, we have an intern. Let's work into death. It was like a give back opportunity for them. I mean, the mm -hmm. value that I was adding them was nowhere clear to near to the value that I got back. Right. I mean, yeah. I was going to lunch with a portfolio manager group every day because they were just nice enough to let me come. And um, so for me, it wasn't about hey, developing raw skills. It was actually how did these guys think? How did these? Women but how did think? you even like get in there? How do they agree to this? It doesn't sound like they have an internship program. Don't have an internship program. So tell me and how you convince them to take you on to do this. Uh, I don't know if I think that's more, the right word. Because that's more interesting to me. And I think that's more interesting to a lot of people. I think that's, well, okay, great. He got that internship, but how do I get it? Is, sure. the, is what I can hear all the listeners saying. And, and you know, it sounds mm -hmm. like you're a good speaker. It sounds like you're comfortable around people. So were you just 
schmoozing them so well that they were like, yeah, buddy, like, come on, hang out. And this for the summer, you know, or like, what was it like? Were you like, Hey man, this is just tough from a non-target. And there was enough of that alumni connection to be like, let me just sit and like, no, it's a, it's a great question. And I think, uh, that story actually doesn't play the, the way that, um, I maybe thought it did back then the, Hey, like where me and from an our target, like that. And I, I don't think a lot of people will listen to that. I think it's where non-targets, uh, candidates excel is when you see their passion and all of a sudden it's like hey you know maybe this person didn't set themselves up in high school or they transferred or whatever the, the story is mm-hmm. um but if you just have a conversation about public market investing for this hedge fund for example right you can have a conversation about like i remember that summer uh we did a long short play on the right aid walgreen position and if it was going to clear and if there was going to be ftc denial and stuff like that um you know if you're just able to have an intellectual conversation with that that impresses people and so but you were able to do that before even talking with these people before? Absolutely, absolutely not. But the, the point of why I say that is um, to give context on like where the passion comes through. And like if you are intellectually curious and you say, okay, I had one call with this person and I learned what they're thinking about on their day-to-day job. And the right aid, Walgreens things comes to mind because first call I had um, with the CIO there, he brought it up and then I went back to the drawing board, looked it up a bunch. And then my next call with him, I was able to converse to talk about that. Got it. Um, and more importantly, it wasn't from a space of, hey, I'm going to share with you. And this, this is what a lot of interviews turn into. And it's probably not the best way to do it. It's I'm the interviewee. I'm telling you how much I know. It rarely works. When you turn it into a conversation, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, when you turn that into a conversation, you say, hey, what are you thinking about? You let them talk a little bit. And then you can just have a conversation about, okay, um, if this doesn't go through and the FCC blocks this, then how do you play it? And you start thinking commercially. Um, that's how you show that you're genuinely interested in the position. Um, and you could do that position on a daily basis as, as opposed to trying to make a connection to a textbook, uh, which rarely turns into a real conversation. Try to show you know, like how to walk through a DCF and like, no, devaluations is not gonna work, yeah. And you'd be, you'd be surprised at how many, I mean, as an ID analyst, as a full-time analyst, I, you know, was a first-year analyst and you get hit up on LinkedIn as you should by you know, mm-hmm. folks that went to your, your school and whatnot. You'd be, you'd be surprised at how many conversations turn into how much I know versus asking and truly seeking the information that will be valuable from the call. I always talk about this is like, and what would I've been successful in networking in um, is instead of having an agenda on what I want to get out of the call, it's, Hey, how can this conversation be um, more useful intrinsically? Not saying, Hey, who's the next person I could talk to? Always try to add that to the next, that's just how networking works. But um, you know, instead of how can I impress you, it's more, what can I glean from this that's going to make me better at your job if I were going to sit in your, in your seat a year from now? Yeah, it's actually being genuinely curious. And it's as simple as that. And it's, and being it's really curious. hard to force that. It, it, is, it is, but it's, and I always say, like, the best time to network is when you don't need it, right? <laughs> you always have to network before you need the network. Before you, you need the network. So, yeah, so yeah. tell me a little bit about, like, yeah. when you started networking, you kind of needed the network. Um, how did you still come across as just genuinely intellectually curious on these calls where they didn't feel like they, you were, like, some desperate kid trying to just pine for an inter- internship? I mean, yeah. and then just tell me, how did you actually get that? Like, how did it? Were they just were impressed on that second call that you came back and you were just talking smart, you know, intelligently about it? And did you did you yeah. out, right right out and just be like, hey, it'd be great just to sit next to you and just you know, for the summer? Or how did you kind of close? I guess. Well, actually, when I got intro, there was a internship that they were trying to open up. Oh, they were. And it was okay. Yeah, so okay. it wasn't like I was, you know, hey, can you creating your own. <laughs> got it. It's okay. a lot harder, uh, <laughs> but it was. Um, I had a good meeting with a financial advisor in North County, San Diego, and mm-hmm. he's you know. I, I have a friend, Horacio at HAB, who, who 
is thinking about taking on an intern. Again, it was, again, more of a giving back than a value for the summer. Um, and when I was able to met them, I think it was just really fortunate timing and, um, you know, showing that passion and showing that scrappiness, even though I knew less than nothing about the job, um, that can come across. And I, I don't know how much you hear about this, but I would have to imagine a lot of those types of internships, the non-structured ones where they don't have a yearly class, a lot of luck, a lot of timing. And that's why you have to get a good, a good amount of um, numbers out there, but then focus on what makes those numbers quality. Yeah, good number of numbers. You mean you actually have to be putting in the work to be even coming across those, those very random and <laughs> infrequent. Yeah, because I think, I think that internship was like six connections deep. It was like alumni network, and then I worked with someone That's who I'm interested to talk to. And like the think seven that, degrees of separation or whatever. <laughs> like, really, like yeah. truly. And I think that, I mean, and, and like it sounds very vanilla because I'm shortening it, but mm -hmm. of those six, connections deep i'm pretty sure two or three were just like flick i don't want to talk to this kid who can i you know pass the buck off to Interesting. um you know like you could sit there like just get rid of this call like i'm done with this kid yeah 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 like I, I don't want to give the impression that like oh all my passion came through and oh i was well researched and all this stuff like i'm sure there were things that i said that people on the other line were like what is this kid blowing smoke on like i don't even understand it and uh and, and one of the things that i actually you know got feedback on is i was over ambitious in these things so i came through and i was like oh what about this idea what about this idea and then it's like you haven't done anything and it's really hard to come from a position and, and start showing that excitement in a way that's genuine. But I mean, the wrong people, uh, or the wrong fit, I should say, are going to be that say like, okay, you're way too ambitious. I'd rather have a kid come in head over heels and start throwing me a million bad ideas uh, and show that passion than uh, sit back and just do the textbook and try to tell me how much he or she knows. Right. Interesting. So yeah, the textbook intro of how much he or she knows that that tell me about yourself that you know tell walk me through your resume i think mm -hmm. tell me about it did you get that a lot in these in these kind of informational kind of we'll call them informational interviews for lack of yeah. you wanted to turn it into a conversation but you, yeah. you were smart enough to kind of try and turn it into a conversation but did any of them try to have you like walk them walk you through their resume and like how did you approach that to kind of steer it back to a conversation yeah no it was more uh, it was less of hey like uh, tell me about your resume. It was more like, Hey, what if I give you some context about myself first? That would probably be a good place to start. And then I can hear your story. And that's how it usually works in these kind of things. The, mm -hmm. the, the junior person that wants information, well, here's how I kick off. You could tell me a little bit about yourself and the person that's receiving the call then goes, and then you can have a conversation after you have like kind of level ground on background. Um, Fair. Okay. That's, that's kind of how it went best and more, most organically. And one thing that I think is really important, I didn't learn this until uh, deep into my, like, June senior year, probably like early, early senior year, like investment banking recruiting. Um, the story that you tell matters. It's not checking boxes. It's a single narrative and everything else adds up to that narrative. And when you can tell the right story that's genuine about you, that's not manufactured, that shows every single time. And almost all of the conversations that, that I had on the other end of the line when I was an investment banking analyst, I would always give that feedback. And, um, I think that's that's extremely important because it's you could easily look at my resume and say, okay, hedge fund, VC, investment banking. Now I want to get invested, and now I want to get in VC, just modern day. Mm -hmm. Why? But if you wrap that story up from head to toe with here's where my passions lie, and notice in the beginning where I say, hey, it's always kind of an entrepreneurship story. If you could filter those things along the line and weave the story as opposed to saying check, check, check. Now this is what I want to do. So much more impactful, and it comes through so much better.
and I, and I hear I hear kids do that in a really good way. People are really unique on how they got into certain situations. Got it. So you're saying when you're when you're kind of taking calls or when you were taking calls um, from from US, USD um, students when you were at Davidson, did you feel like there was a lot of improvement there that could have been, or you felt like they were pretty they were pretty polished? Um, Obviously, it's a wide range, right? Some kids yeah, are like a disaster, huge, and then <laughs> huge range. And I think I think that. Uh, students, candidates know how to tell what they've done. Maybe there's a better way to say this. Let's just say what I was saying before. Maybe it's more concise. People know how to say what they've done. It's hard to say why they've done it. And when you can weave those two together as a, as a narrative, it shows a lot better. And the difference between, you know, if you took three calls a week and you had, I'd say 1% of, of the folks that I talked to would have that last notch instead of here's what I've done versus here's the narrative and here's where I'm going. That's the biggest step because you can have the golden internships, the Apollo internships, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And if I don't know like, why you want to do something, the motivation, and it's not this like tied up little neat bow, it says like, oh, he or she like has to be here next year. Like I need to work with them next year in our technology team in the bullpen next to me. Th then all of a sudden things click. And it sounds, it sounds like way too simple, but that happens because you're telling a narrative that you have carefully constructed and that's genuine. How did you construct yours? Because like you said, you had the yeah. hedge fund, the VC. So tell me a little bit about how you yeah. move into that. Let's too. jump. Let's jump to senior year. We can. I actually no. Let's 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 go in order. So yeah. okay. Um, okay, before we get there, we can come back to the narrative a little bit in terms of how sure. you wove it together for your IB recruiting. But so you get you do this internship over the summer. It sounds awesome. Like you're able to sit there and just hear and bounce <laughs> ideas with with, um, with the CIO. It sounds like of this. Yeah, and then yeah, it's less glorious. I mean, there's a lot of LP statement making and stuff like that, but yeah. I gotta hear his thoughts. Yeah. And okay. it was Brexit summer too, which was incredible to be a part of. Okay. So you kind of come back now junior year, correct? Yeah. And so are you thinking is IB on the horizon here or what's the deal? Nope. Did you even know what investment bank? Like you didn't even nope. know what it was. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Uh and in USD and I Again, it's not a very sophisticated target. Or it's not a target school for the reason because they're not in the tune of the, the schedule. Uh, over 70% of USD kids go abroad their junior year, their first semester. That happens to be the most important time for high finance, investing, banking, private equity, internships. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was around. I was in Madrid. I came back and I very quickly realized I kind of thought I might be able to go back to the hedge fund that summer. Um, but I maybe it hadn't clicked where I needed to go step by step by step from, you know, hedge fund to VC to investment making back to VC. I don't think that really clicked. And university growth fund is this VC fund that I was telling you about um, that came in through a professor and said, Hey, you might be interested in this. And, um, and what it is for those that don't know, um, it's a student managed hedge funds, but $30 million fund. The last one that I was a part of at least um, and not hedge fund, sorry, VC. And they're based on Salt Lake and, their theory is they have two full-time partners and they're sourcing partners and they have really good connectivity in the Bay area and the Salt Lake city area and, and otherwise. Um, and they, they have ample experience before, and this is kind of their second part of their careers. And what they'll tell you is they think if they source the right opportunities that students can execute upon them and provide the right diligence. And, you know, if you filter that through a seasoned investment committee, you can develop a really strong portfolio. So our portfolio there, stuff that I work on individually, um, Spotify 23 and me. Um, I know Flexport oh, wow. came after us. Uh, Do you guys put me. money into that? You put money into those deals? Yeah. And again, awesome. 
uh, $7 million checks and co-investing, but they have these co-investing relationships that are really interesting. Yeah. Um, so when, when we would get in, it'd be part of an SPV, but at the end of the day, the ownership stake doesn't necessarily matter to the junior or the senior that's just trying to learn the industry and why do we invest in what. And um, SPV this, be special purpose vehicle. Uh, it's just a different, an easier way to kind of group investors to, to exactly get Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have to have direct access to the CEO, but if you have access to the lead investor on the Series B, you can get into that round as well. Got it. Um, <laughs> sometimes if they're generous and there's a value proposition that interested our fund students can add in terms of different market studies and surveys and projects that, that we would do regularly. Exactly. Um, and yeah. kind of, again, the give back opportunity, yeah. um, you know, when, I won't get too much into it, but when a Series C Lee is saying, uh, you know, I have, I could give, you know, 800K of this allocation and I'm doing a $15 million round to a student group, like, um, it, that might be enticing and ha is enticing for some leads. So, um, but, and the structure of, of University Growth Fund is incredibly interesting. You come in as an intern, some of those interns after that summer will get held as associates. The associates are kind of the backbone of the fund. And you think about it on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis, it's producing investment memos for everything from market size to the product market fit competition to the financial model an associate might have one or two of those on each investment memo and then a select few will become senior associates um, if, if they've been there for three four plus semesters and then those are actually leading the deal so the whole investment memo goes up filters through them they help pitch it to the student group and then subsequently to the investment committee if there's management calls and co-investor calls they're leading those it's an it's a principal level opportunity for senior for college, college kids that's unbelievable. It is, I, I, you know, I it's called the University Growth Fund, and so is this, do they take fund. students from all over the the country? No, they focus on San Diego and Salt Lake City. Okay. Um. So the Salt Lake City based U of U BYU. But there's USU. probably other funds similar to this, right? In terms of yeah, so they're they're the biggest one. Um, okay. Uh, at least that that I've heard of and that we've heard of at that fund, and mm -hmm. you know, it was a thirty plus million dollar fund, and they're raising um. They're trying to raise it for the next one. I don't know how big that one's going to be, but they've been cool. fairly successful, especially with that model and uh, way to give back. And you know, uh, you were there. Cool. You were there almost all junior year. Is that so for thirteen months? About so I got there in like May 2017 and left in maybe June 2017 and left in July. Uh, it was actually it's funny because uh, we invested in Pinterest and I was our senior associate on that deal. And uh, our, our GP there was. Like, hey, I wouldn't let you leave the steel if you want to, but you're graduating in, in like four weeks. Um, you know, I don't want to make you work past your graduation. You already have a job. You have the job that that fall. And I was like, no, it's Pinterest. I want it. Um, yeah. So, so that's why the my end date was actually July. Uh, so I had three weeks off between banking and that. But uh, the exposure level, and this is what you get from a program like that, is you get out of it what you put into it very much so. I mean, if you want to skate through that program and put your name on a couple investment memos, but do very small parts and or you can pour into it. And there's kids that do, you know, 20, 30-ish hours a week and on top of classes, on top of uh, actual jobs and stuff like that. So that means like doing more of the actual memo, writing it up, um, doing the research, doing the market science, all that stuff to try. Yeah, and, it's, and like, if you think about it, there's two different levels to that, right? Like say you have the, you're an associate and you have a market sizing section. You can go look what Ibis says and it's a $20 million market and you put that on the slide and all of a sudden it took you an hour. Or you yeah. can really dig into it. You can do a bottom top build or top down build. And, yeah. Um, you know, the, it, it's obviously shows, but mm -hmm. it's your decision. 
and you won't get out of that program what it can give you unless you put the time into it. And there are some incredibly scrappy and smart, bright kids that come out of that program because of that, that enablement factor. So you got that kind of VC stuff on your, on your resume by junior year, but tell me about, and then you were in Madrid for your first semester or for the first semester junior year. So I actually came back from Madrid and then they were hiring in the, the early first semester of my junior year in 2017. Yeah. Uh, so you got no. that, which was great. But tell me a little bit about at this point, when did you first hear about, okay, investment banking? Like what, because it sounds like you were working with that fund through graduation. So, uh, they, so one of the great things that university growth fund does is they regularly have recruiters come in and do information sessions. Hmm. Davidson was one of those. And so we had, I mean, at, at a given time in the fund, you have between 20 and 30 like interns, whether yeah. they're analysts or interns or associates or senior associates. Right. And so like that call itself was like a 10 to 15 person one. And Davidson has a couple of different divisions within it. They were giving an info session on investment banking and equity research. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I learned about it from the first time, honestly, and uh, followed up with the recruiter after that call and said, this sounds awesome. It happened to be in Orange County where I'm from. Um, and, and it was, you know, the personality fit of the folks that were in that uh, investment banking group was a fit. And it was honestly, people like actually laugh when I tell them this. I had one investment making interview. That was it. That, that was, was it. it. And so you got this, it was an info call. You spoke with the recruit. You just called up the recruiter at Davidson. Yeah. So again, university growth fund, it was like a scheduled, you know, our yeah, students are going to get access. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then, you know, she was nice enough um, to say, you know, if you're really interested, call me after this. And I, I think it was like, hang up, look up the number, call. And immediately it was like, okay, like they prioritize local kids. So, you know, Southern California university background grew up in Orange County. Perfect. Yeah. Um, it kind of checked those boxes. They look, us or Davidson does this. And I think it's smart. I think a lot of other uh, middle market banks are doing this is they'll look away from the target schools and look at like the next year that's right below that maybe. Mm-hmm. And they'll look at like the best of the USDs, the Claremont McKenna's, the USC's of the world versus, you know, the, well, Claremont McKenna has, yeah, Claremont McKenna licenses. And that's a really good program. They yeah, license we, our courses and they have like a, this little IB, like 40 kids that go through it that plays pretty well. So it is nuts to like start your full-time analyst and, and talk to your, your other classmates and say, all right, well, like, what does your school do? And you hear about stuff like that and it's like nothing. Like if nothing. I don't have any for growth on, like USD wasn't having that. And their USD places great accounting, but finance is something that they have yet to Established internally as, a, as the infrastructure, which is like they should talk USC with us. is they phenomenal. Should talk with, talk with those yeah, absolutely should. And, and I, I'll, I'll put you in contact with um, someone in their career development office. Yeah, we have. I mean, we don't go after it very much because just selling to universities is kind of a nightmare. It's like a sure. it's like a year and a half selling cycle, and and we're, we're oh. we we give such like we give such huge discounts. It's like okay, all the effort spent on that selling, like we could just sell the like, margins aren't there. Yeah. yeah, we could just sell an extra five courses individually, and it's the same amount of money for like going through all. That. <laughs> Yeah, you know what I mean. So yeah. it's it's one of those things where like it'd be great. We we want that. Um, we've actually been partnering a lot more with with student organizations because that's so easy. Yep. And so we've been doing that. Um, and to give you context, like I didn't have an investment banking club at USD when I was there. Um, it's starting to get more and more because kids are just smarter and there's Wall Street yeah. Oasis out there. And they should start uh, one. Yeah, the couple. They, so they did a year yeah. after last. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, it was hell? funny. <laughs> there were four kids that, and this is part of my senior year. Yeah. This is actually after I got into DA or signed for DA Davidson. There was this national investment banking competition, which was hosted in Toronto, an organization. There's like 300 plus organizations. I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. I absolutely loved it. Um, and we got, we 
lost in the finals. So he presented in the whole final gala and then lost to Queens University when it was hosted by a panel of five Queens University alumni. So I won't, I won't say anything there. But, um, That's pretty good to hear the finals, though. That's yeah, but awesome. what, was, what was nuts is you had, I didn't know of a lot of investment bankers coming from USD before, older than me, at least like immediately older than me. Um, and of those four folks on my team, it was myself who went to Davidson, one went to BAML, one went to Mollus and started the investment bank a couple of years after it, and the other went to Cowan. Um, so it was like, maybe there's something here with USD students. Um, so they started the club a year after, and I think it's, I, I know a lot of kids that are calling me now, and all of a sudden, okay, this is starting to match, but they're just figuring it out, and hopefully they get further and further. Well, we'll partner with the club first, then. We have yeah, to. Yeah. That's like, a, that's like a two emails, and we're like, done. And, it's, and you have your target market audience, yeah. right? And it's, a lot, exactly. it's a lot more refined. Very, very true. Okay, so you're... Um, so you do the one interview. So tell me about like the super day. Was it hard? Was it like, were they more just about fit and they knew you're a hard worker and then they were happy and they're like, you're, you're hired or. And then no, how, it was, how, it how, was more of a traditional investment banking interview. And again, it was, I called the recruiter and then I had like two more calls. It was like the timeline was crazy. I think we were a little late in it as UGF. It was like a Monday call. I had a call with the recruiter on Tuesday, someone else on Wednesday. And they were like, can you be here on Friday for the super day? And I was like, this is, this is out of my, I don't know, I control. So you're like, like, of course. You're like, like, I know all about it. I'm totally prepped for this. Absolutely did nothing. You know like, about the, did you know about the WSO interview courses at that point? Or were you just digging no. online for anything you could get? Uh, I had a couple friends from different schools that were in investment making. I was like, can you send me the study? Yeah, uh, there's a study guy. So it was one of those things where there was like a 35 hour mad dash to just being competent. Um, and even then, like I wasn't and, and going into it, I never faked to be the perfect investment banking candidate. I always say like, hey, I know finance pretty well. And more specifically, I know it makes companies tick. And that was from the University Growth Fund. So I played that angle a lot more. And I said, hey, I know you guys sell middle market technology companies or whatever companies that might be. Yeah. Like, I might not know how to run a DCF from head to toe, but I certainly know the high level management operational dynamics that make a company either fail or succeed. And I know how to sell that. I think I can make the argument that I can make, um, that I can sell that company. Um, and again, Davidson is primarily an M&A group. Um, so, you know, not having the equity issuances um, in a massive capacity, at least on a day-to-day -day basis was, uh, was why that actually played pretty well. Um, mm. And again, like that mad dash of 35 hours or whatever it is on the study guides, like helped a lot. Like you have to, and I always say this, my boss always says, you have to check the boxes and then it's like, okay, what's the X factor or whatever it is. And social, uh, you know, market knowledge, knowing your DCF, like being the model expert, uh, you can develop into a lot of those things though. But, um, I think, I think where you didn't oversell, folks, you didn't oversell yourself and try I to never, I certainly didn't oversell myself. You didn't try to I, pretend like you were a technical wizard. <laughs> Accounting no, wizard. I was never, and they had a, a technical, uh, you know, Ireland spreadsheet tests and it, but it was more financial ratios and stuff like that, which like, if you took finance 301, you'd probably do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you checked that box. You weren't like, check that box. Yeah. But most of the conversations I had, you know, except for like that one, and we'll talk about this, that one, like dreaded technical interview, most of them were organic conversations about what makes businesses tick, fail, succeed, whatnot. And I could have those conversations. I love those conversations. And um, because of that, I was able to kind of bring that through. Um, they all, they like, okay. they all, you, you probably just crushed those portions where they really loved you, but, and then they're like, ah, okay, technically he's not like the strongest. He missed that. Depreci that. Yeah. He missed that yeah. depreciation account, whatever, but you know, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I asked, uh, I asked the VP that did my technical afterwards. I was like, Hey, like, so excited to work with you. Um, he's a USC alumni, like I said, 
Um, so I felt a little more comfortable with him and yeah. said, Hey, but like, what was some feedback? And he was like, you, your tentacles were not where they needed to be. Yeah. Um, but we think you can develop into that. And frankly, I, I did, um, because one, Davidson has a really good training program and to the culture there is very, uh, building people up as opposed to you are my competition. So second years help first years in an incredible way. The right associates help the right analysts in an incredible way and VPs and what down and where Davidson does succeed really well in recruiting is actually at the senior level. Um, they're able to, especially in Orange County, all, like all of our senior VPs and up are former bulge bracket guys and mm. they've seen it, they've gotten out of it. And so they can take the good parts of the bulge bracket and say, all right, let's drop some of the harshest things and develop kids in a little more, uh, helpful way i think and then they also say if we can do that like in a better manner we can hold on to this talent for a longer time so when did you actually get the offer what what went during during the senior senior year um i actually got it it's funny sorry i transferred from michigan um i think the week after my super day michigan state was playing in ann arbor and i was like i'm gonna go back and visit for that weekend and they called me like friday night right when i got off the plane and they were like hey we have an offer for you. And I was like, signed, done. And they were like, well, do you want to hear it? And I'm like, uh, sure. Accepted it on the spot. Like, no, there was no doubt about it. I was very excited. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you're, so you're but that was, when was that exactly? What was it? It was like a couple First months. First week of you... October, I want to say. And uh, pretty yeah, early so on. And, and yeah. Early. And what I noticed is banking cross is getting earlier and earlier and earlier. Oh, it's you. Yeah. Yeah. That's late. Like eventually you're going to be offers. As it's like sophomore sophomores. years. Well, now private equity recruiting is like they hit the desk. I think actually, it's, it's going to kick off. Yeah. It's going to kick off. It's what, August 18th today. And I'm predicting it's, it's going this thing. month before uh, I think last year went September. But anyways, two years, two years ahead of uh, when they actually start. Yeah. Um, okay. So you're, so let's talk a little bit about that um that transitioned i hope you did something fun before you started your three week a three week gap bef- between uh the pinterest work and the <laughs> but yeah uh, it yeah, sounds so like I mean, it sounds I'm... like it was a pretty smooth process were you nervous about not getting that like did you were you contingency contingency planning in your head if you didn't get that banking offer were you now like i need to do banking or are you thinking about that at all no it, it, it was never it was never that and frankly like when I got into banking, I immediately like met the team and saw what they were doing on a daily basis. I was like, I could actually see myself doing this in the longer term. Mm-hmm. But after the VC internship, it was like light on fire. I know what I want to do long term. And mm-hmm. in VC, like everything is deal flow. Everything is what kind of deals you're able to like you can, it's just there's a huge difference in good deal flow and bad deal flow. And if I was coming from USD, like realistically, if I was, you know, 4.0, took my GBAT and got the perfect score, whatever it was, like there's a very little chance that I was getting into a strong deal flow VC. Um, so I knew the best way to get into that candidacy role, our candidacy universe was to go to investment banking and develop the skills. Uh, and then it was actually, you know, pleasant that I actually enjoyed uh, that experience and that team and that content. And I said, it's maybe interesting because we've, we've recruited for some VCs and some fam- small family offices and yeah, sometimes they get mad at us because like WSO is so banker heavy and we'll like send them some incredible candidates from like mm-hmm. banking that want to get into VC. And they're just like, no, there's no like accelerators or VC. So you'd be fine because you had that university growth fund on your resume, but. And it's rare. Like internships in VC is like, why would you do it? Like but even it startup is, experience, they wanted to see something like about the startup universe. And I get that. That's fair. I totally. I totally get yeah. that. Um, yeah. So, and then like I come back to the, the narrative point that 
uh, maybe I already be dead, but it, it was kind of one dogs. of those things. There are your dogs. Yeah. You Don't worry. Don't worry. What kind, what kind of that. dog? What kind of dog? I do. I got an English Green Golden Retriever and then a Newfoundland, which is as big as you, is just big. Sounds and like that's, the, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they'll, they'll wake you up. They, they do your alarm clock in the morning for you. Too. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is like, then once I got into investment banking, I could say, it was that first time where I'd be like, okay, I could actually learn the technical skills that you need me to get to. I had the qualitative, I needed to do the quantitative. And so like two years later, when it came to VC recruitment, that was my narrative. I, I went into investment banking because I wanted to get into VC. I have some VC experience, albeit internship experience. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the narrative I tell, I told. And it came through because uh, it was genuine. Like I had that experience, the, the light switch went on. I knew I wanted to do it. And then I went and made myself better through investment banking. Fair. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about banking though. So it sounds like it was a great experience yeah. for you. Uh, were the hours yeah. like 70 plus, 80 plus? Was it? You know, it's not New York or San Francisco banking. Yeah. Um, it is what I would, what I was like told when I was taking calls is it's like realistic hours, but like reasonable hours. Like you were on yeah. average 70, 75. Yeah. Um, and your peaks and your valleys, but like, that's a lot. We were, it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours. And don't get yeah. me wrong. If you're working on the, okay. But I always say it's 75 bad hours versus 75 good hours. There's a huge difference. So if you are doing buyers lists and scraping LinkedIn's and whatever, that might not be the most 75 fun hours, but if you're actually putting together, sit, making the model, doing this quality hours that can build your skill set at the same time or on the calls to the buyers and doing whatever that is. And, uh, you know, not MA land, uh, that's going to be a lot better of a lifestyle. And uh, I actually joined our Davidson Technology Group at a very fortunate time. Um, I think we were six or seven, I might've been our six or seven head count. Mm-hmm. By the time I left two years later, 22. So oh, they wow. were growing really quickly. Uh, I got in when we were really resource constrained on the associate analyst level. Mm-hmm. So what that meant is I was working on a lot of deals that were like maybe MDVP analyst only. Yeah. Uh, and the MD's sourcing. And so it's a VP. And it's, I had, you, it's basically you and the VP. VP. Yeah. yeah. And I had a great VP who's a former Goldman guy, a former merchant baker too. So like he got Trained it. Trained you really quickly. Nice to, yeah. Um, and, and other great directors. I mean, like there was no one in my group that wasn't great to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a very good experience because of that. And if he trusted me, which I would like to say at a certain point he would, like he would let me take some of the buyer's calls. And all of a sudden, like I, I say, like, you don't understand a business until you try to sell it. Um, and those investors and those private equity investors, like we sold them to private equity a lot. They'll mm-hmm. ask you tough questions. Um, and once you start realizing what they're going to ask you, you really understand how to meet with a business, how to talk to an operator um, and relay that information. Because a lot of what the banker does is like tell the founder, the CEO, the owner, whatever it is, this is what investors are going to look at. Whether or not, you know, we care about that, this is what they care about. Um, and so understanding that just made you a better banker, a better commercial banker. Um, and you kind and of then, already had some yeah. of that. Like the, you already had some of that insight, I feel like, for Beast, just looking at, you know, the metrics, you know, unit economics, all that good stuff yeah. that you probably were trained on. Um, Qualitative stuff, I like to say. And, yeah. and again, like, and again, when we were, we were selling middle market tech companies, like to tell you the truth, it's like some of them were great margin companies, but a lot of them were cash flow negative. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, you can model whatever DCF you want to do, but if you can't tell the story of, you know, two times, two times, three growth over the next three years, no private equity will, uh, no growth or private equity buyer worth their salt is going to listen to your call. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So you're, 
going through this, at what point are you thinking, I got the skills now that I wanted? When am I going to start looking? <laughs> or, you know, when is, uh, or, yeah. are, you at, are you kind of, you're keeping, you're still networking That's out good question. throughout this whole, throughout these whole two years? Or like, what's the, what's the thought process? Yeah, honestly, I was, I was way more head down than you might expect someone who yeah. got into, into DC. I, I really liked our team and I really liked what I was doing there. And living in Orange County, I saw, you know, a 10, 20, whatever a year, hopefully not 50 year, um, you know, retirement plan, but I, I saw a future in investment banking. Um, mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I went into and got thrown some opportunities, whether it was from, you know, my former GPs at, at University Growth Fund, they're like, hey, you should probably look at this or a recruiter reaching out. Um, and like actually putting an opportunity in front of my face where I was like, oh, I forgot. Like I really wanted to do this and I still really wanted to do it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I got in contact with phenomenal recruiter um, at Hunter SF and show me a, a couple of things throughout probably like a 12 month timeline. And, mm -hmm. you know, the recruiter matters. You know, there's a couple ways to do it. You can do the networking and try to go to the higher director, but like recruiters are really good at what they do and the right VCs hire recruiters, a VC's private equity, whatever it is, um, especially if it's not, I, th I think, you know, I'm not the expert here, but I think, especially if it's not a class hire. So it's like, Hey, we're, you know, taking, there's this one person we're looking at. There's one people. we're taking it a recruit and recruiters and VCs, like they typically hire outwards a little bit. So not recruiters, but like recruiter processes, it's less, Hey, we want an associate for three years. It's like, yeah, we want an associate for three years, but like also what maybe could they do for us in the future? Can yeah. they grow into a higher role than that? Um, Mm -hmm. And so those are long processes and uh, I had a great recruiter and it was one of those good relationships where it was like, Hey, this might not be the best fit for you. It's not just throwing your resume at everything. It's like, yeah, let's let you do your day job, which is, you know, those 75 plus hours. Mm -hmm. um, and then the ones that like, I took a little more targeted approach to it. The ones that are like the good fits um, that don't require the bulge bracket resume. Mm -hmm. I went really, really hard for those. And there were a few that, I thought I was going to get that I didn't get. I mean, VC is a absolute crap show. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I realized very quickly on. And, and this was a fortunately great fit. Perfect. And so, yeah, okay. you um, were basically just kind of you know, not, not in a rush trying to find the right place. And when you found the right place, you pushed hard, but would you say you made it to like a three final rounds before kind of that first off that? Offer yeah. There were, and final rounds in VC are a little less structured, right? So you don't- Yeah, it's like you're in a final round. You think you're in a final round. It's like, yeah. no, I'm just kidding. You have three more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there were several processes where it's like I had eight plus conversations and like, yeah. I had no idea where it was in the process. And like, yeah. the herd can only tell you so much. Like there were times where it was like, yeah, like we got to the end of our cycle and we didn't hire anyone. It's what they do. It's fair. It's their prerogative. They're looking for a really good fit. And then also throw in the uh, little curveball that was COVID in the middle of my recruitment. Like yeah. that was absolutely crazy. Yeah. So what, what kind of, um, do you mind talking a little bit about like range of pay, even if it's a boutique, like, you know, you don't have to give exact numbers, but is it, I'm guessing and tell me if I'm way off. I'm like base of around 70 to 80. Um, for this banking. is for David. Davidson. Davidson. Yeah. For banking the couple of years, I'm saying yeah. like 780, like bonus 50% ish. Is that fair? Yeah, that's no, that's about right. Um, yeah. And then they made a step upwards too, um, to try to be a little more competitive, like a 5k bump in all of their first second. So it's a three-year program actually. Davidson oh, okay. Too. And were, they, a, were they, were they upset at all with that you jumped or they were supportive? Um, the vast majority were very supportive, but like yeah. you're always, especially when people like pour into you, the development aspect and like, yeah not yeah, out of VP, the office man too. my vp same thing when i left he's like he's like hey, come on he's like oh. yeah my vp is actually great about it because i think he had the golden experience um but again like when certain people put a lot into you and you know they 
tell your face, like we could see you here a long time. Like I don't blame them for one second for being like, come on, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, you're not like a year in and all of a sudden you're like, Oh guys, just a heads up. I might want to do see Like you you don't have those conversations. Yeah. Do you feel like, do you tell me about what you feel in terms of just how you view your career mapping. Cause like you said, you put your head down, you were, you were, you're obviously doing a great job. They saw you, you developed those technical skills. You were doing well. I assume you're well-ranked and the group is growing and it's, everything sounds like it's, it's great. Like you're probably going to get that associate promote, you know, or direct associate promote, maybe not have to go get the MBA. Yeah. So there's a lot to be said. Like you even said yourself, like I could see a career here in banking. So tell me, tell me like, um, how you view like VC in terms of like a career, like obviously it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and there's like the deal, deal flow aspect of, of VC. Like you said, you wanted to get to a place with like, where you like, is there any concern or fear, um, in terms of like, I'm taking a higher beta, higher risk, higher risk. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, especially when you're already in the place and you already feel like you have like a foothold in the group and like a role in the group and like, you don't have to necessarily let like, you know, push hard on the gas to get there. Like you're going to get there as long as you don't let the foot off the gas. Um, no, that was a risk. And I think it came down like a very overly simplistic view. It's like, do you want to sell the billion dollar company or do you want to find that, you know, pre-seed company that turns into the billion dollar company and sit on the board long-term. And for me, like where I found myself as a banker was like, I always wanted to have those conversations with founders. Like, Hey, how did you get from here to here? Like, where can you get in the next three years? As earlier, like, like earlier state, you wanted earlier. To I want to be their advisor, honestly. And like, yeah. I think you talk to the best VCs and you listen to the best VC podcasts out there. The best ones are, are the best board investors at the end of the day. And, and they're because the best you're investors to the best, board, board. they're the best board members board and members, yeah. advisors and literally just like someone that you can call when you're raising the next round, you need a good introduction to the right VC as opposed to just any, you know, 10, $15 million check. It's the right 10, $15 million check. And, you know, the best VCs are the ones that um, enjoy the advisor role uh, yeah. as much as the investing role. Yeah, that's cool. And I think that was the question I had to answer. Well, yeah. You kind of knew, yeah, you said, you know, I, I could do this and I'd probably be happy. And I'd do well. And, but there'd always be kind of that thought of, Hey, maybe I should have gone VC. <laughs> yeah, and listen, like this could be a different. I could have a different perspective if, like, in a couple years, you'll, yeah, maybe you'll be years. back. Yeah, maybe if I go over, you know, that might <laughs> that might change. But uh, let's hope that's not the case. Tell me about that thought process of like being able to leave and then come back. Do you feel like that group would potentially um, be open to it down the road? Maybe if you want to go. Yeah, that was, that was a month ago. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so, so no so now. Probably, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's right now. Um, yeah. But I mean, I've had, I've had very candid conversations with those folks. Like, I don't care what capacity it's in. Like we want to work together mm-hmm. um, in the future. And I think if you leave every business relationship like that, good things will happen and your network will grow sure. and it won't, you won't burn those bridges. For sure, man. Hopefully. Yeah. Any other words of wisdom in your short career that you've uh, would like to kind of share with the listeners uh, for some of the younger guys and gals out there? Anything yeah. else? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it really comes down to like, I can, maybe we touched on this in the beginning, but like, and it's so corny. It's the passion economy though. You have to make it what you're on. Um, don't go into the job because the money don't go into the job because of the name and you know what your dad, your mom tells you to do or you it's no two work two years and anything are worth something you don't like to do. You know, whether that's banking or whether that's, you know, 
renting surfboards in Orange County, right? Like don't do anything you don't actually want to do um, because mm-hmm. it will leave you in a step back as opposed to a step forward. So I've seen it a million times. And unfortunately, I have been able to not go down that road. Um, I've, I've liked the things that, you know, set me up for the future, hopefully. But, Any uh, advice for people who are kind of at non-targets and they don't get that banking offer and they're kind of, yeah. they're like, let's say <clears throat> they, they weren't as aggressive. They're not as well-spoken on those interviews where they're able to, you know, maybe they're a little more nervous in the interviews. Absolutely. They're, they're passionate about it and they want it, but like, let's say they get to the end of their senior year, they have nothing lined up. What, do, what would you suggest for those people? It's a great question. Um, I, I, think, I think when we look at investment banking specifically and then like what comes after investment banking, whether that's buy side or whatever it is, there seems to be very defined roles. And I think like that's only for the bulge bracket to say the truth. I think that there are people willing to listen to a not a very unique story. And whether that's going to an MBA or starting your own company or going to work with a startup, like there are so many other opportunities that make you um, that make you a good candidate, if not a better and more unique candidate. I think always ask the question like in that person's job, what are the skills that make them not just like competent, but like good? And a lot of the questions are not, or a lot of, a lot, a lot of the answers to that question is like, go being an operator can get you the same skills as I got as whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. if you want to go work for a startup or a growth stage company, there are so many of those out there and you can go be a business development representative and, you know, in the first 30 of a startup and get better experience than I got in two years from banking. End of story. So I think there's a lot that, if you really know that that's what you want to do, there's a lot more ways into it than we think. When you say know what you want to do, you mean banking or just finance? Whether it's banking or whether, yeah, finance is a good example because it just feels yeah. like there's like these. Yeah, finance, it feels, it. yeah, finance feels it's like very defined. Like if you don't do banking, then you should do like transaction advisory services at a big four. If you don't do transaction advisory service, maybe do like a corporate finance or FLBP mm-hmm. program or whatever. And so like it does feel kind of like these like stages where, yeah, I, I think, there's something to be said where it's, it's more about um, the skills you're developing, whether that be being like, you know, are you getting the technical skills? Are you doing any of that modeling? And there's a lot of self-study. Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, programs like we had Davidson, they did wall street prep, wall street oasis. Like there are, yeah. and, and like, like that, but like also reading literature, like as corny as it sounds, like read barbarians of gates, like read stuff like that, like actually understand what people are talking about instead of just like 400 page study guides. Yeah, like, that of, like I want to get to banking, and they're like, "Why?" And you're like, "Cause I like looking at companies and the analyzing." And you hear it's that yeah. too much. Yeah, and it's and it's it's just it comes through too much. And yeah, yeah. Again, so like, look at skills and look at all the different places you can get them. And I think that the right people, um, which hopefully are the people that are hiring, will yeah. find that. Great. I think we'll call it there. Barrett, thanks so much for. Uh, taking the time to join us and share your wisdom. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.